Hey there, this is Abby, just jumping in with a quick heads up. The episode you were about to hear had uh, some technical difficulties when we got ready to start recording, so we wound up using different software than we're normally accustomed to. As such, the audio might sound a little different than you're used to. Uh, I just wanted to let you know in advance so you'd know that that's not you or your headphones. That's just me learning how to make a podcast. Thanks for your patience, and now, on with the show. Welcome to Cringe Benefits, the podcast that's all about your favorite things from childhood and your grown-up reservations about them. Today, I'm talking to Sabia Mishael Derry. Sabia is a theater actor, singer, and poet, and New York native. When theater was happening, she was doing Skin Folk, an American show at the Bushwick Star in Brooklyn. These days, it's lots of books, Beyonce, and writing at home in Brooklyn. Hey, Sabia, how you doing today? <laughs> Hey, Abby. I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> so um, since we've already been catching up for like a solid 20 minutes before we got mm -hmm. started, I think we can dive right in. And I am, I, just before we dive in, I'm so excited to talk about this. I have so many thoughts and feelings and I'm filled with with just a, a Venn diagram of rage and nostalgia about this whole subject. Yes. 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 Sabia, <laughs> how old were you the first time you saw Sex in the City? I, I must have been like 18 or 19. I actually wasn't that young. That's um, probably... Wise, you shouldn't be that young when you watch Sex yes. in the City. Yes, yes. There is a reason my parents banned me from watching television <laughs> very early because they knew I would find Sex in the City and like it. Um, <laughs> no, I started watching it um, in like the summers in between college when I was like at home with nothing to do with cable and it was running on E like every 10 minutes all day every day and i had never seen it so i was like "Ooh, sex in the city and right but they were dressed. the the cable cuts where they cut like the really dirty stuff yes. and the actual nudity out of it and and i when i learned that later on it was i had a second like excitement about sex in the city the first time i saw the uncut like oh unedited. so you have seen the uncut raw in its original sex in the city at this oh, point oh yes thank you hbo yes, yes. i have <laughs> oh, my experience yeah. was very similar i think i was probably 16 17 when i watched it because it was on tbs and it was a big deal that it was suddenly oh, like God clean and on cable and we could all watch it and then <laughs> once I was it, like I honestly in the last five years since I've been in New York I binged it beginning to end on HBO mm -hmm. which was right mm -hmm. which is a whole infuriating oh, experience it really is it really is before we get into the the sound and the fury, which is going to be the entirety of this podcast I can no <laughs> doubt tell were you when you when you first watched it as a teenager in in, mm -hmm. in its original form, how was it? Was it? I mean, 
I should preface this by saying that I'm a black woman, so I watch everything like with an air of this is not what real life is, right? Like there's yeah. already going to be this film over anything like, okay, you know, this is like white fantasy. So don't like, no, totally. don't expect too much, you know? Um, but even still, I was pretty dazzled by Sex in the City the first time I watched it. I, I've always, you know, wanted to be a writer with her own apartment with a stoop, you know, mm-hmm. in New York in fabulous designer shoes. And, you know, I still want to be that person, but it's big. That idea of that is, is way different now than, <laughs> you yeah. know, when you're in college dreaming about your future, you know, especially as a millennial and realizing that the world isn't really set up that way. <laughs> especially because Carrie, the, the, her version of the single woman's struggle is so struggle free. Oh, really? Yeah. Like and self-inflicted. A little she bit. is the author of all of her own problems. It's yes. it's my number one thesis of this show. <laughs> but also just I, I, I brought this up briefly on an earlier episode. And I'm so glad first of all, I'm so glad you picked this. So, so for listeners mm. who don't know, the 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 way that I choose topics is I choose guests and guests choose topics. So I always get to be really excited when someone <laughs> tells me what they want to talk about. So when you told me you wanted to talk about sex in the city, I may have done like a little dance in my yeah! room. I, it's just so there's so much to get into. There's so much. There is so much. And everyone, it also feels like, is, is having this experience right now. I mean, yeah. like, everyone seems to be rewatching it as we're all, you know, have time to just nitpick at everything we used to love. And so many people are having these, you know, frustrations and... Um, How Sex in the qualms. City lied to us. Lied to us yes. about life. About everything. You and I uh, had in a lot of ways, a profoundly different experience of sex in the city because I am, mm-hmm. first of all, I'm, I'm not a New York native. I'm from LA. So like everything mm-hmm. else that's about New York, I kind of grew up watching things about New York and took their version of New York as some sort of an accurate roadmap to what New York would be like. Right. So that's mm-hmm. a problem. Another thing <laughs> that's going to be profoundly different is that I, I'm white and I had to learn the ways in which the world profoundly mm-hmm. erases uh, narratives mm-hmm. of color and, and creates this sort of um, uh, white exceptionalist fantasy in so sure. many ways, in so yeah. many ways, often mm-hmm. without really trying because the absence of thinking about it is what creates, is, is part of what creates the problem. So like for me, watching Sex in the City the first time as a teenager, I very much took it on its, on its, um, at face value on this idea of like, yes, this is, this is what it means to be a grown up who thinks about right. sex. And these oh women gosh. are so sexually progressive. They're not. Right. And no. <laughs> <laughs> these women, these women, and this is what, and everybody who lives in New York is living at some level of like, of, 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 casually rich fantasy where it's like it's you don't even have to think about going out for cocktails after work because cocktails <sighs> don't cost the same as a week's worth of groceries right or catching a cab literally everywhere all the time how i can probably how? count on one hand <laughs> the amount of times i have taken a cab and it's <sighs> never my first choice no and when I do, I feel so guilty about it. I think about all the other things I should have spent this 20 or 40 bucks on, you know, it's like. So, so here's the thing that makes me angry. 
Uh, mm. Carrie, Carrie is the poor friend, and there are occasionally, <laughs> right? <laughs> there, there are <laughs> occasionally episodes about Carrie not having any money. But the fact is, Carrie doesn't have any money because she spends all of her money on shoes and clothes. Um, shoes, and, yes, yep, and not not exclusively good shoes and clothes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like she is the poor friend and yeah she lives alone in her own apartment and can afford all of these clothes and cocktails and brunch every weekend and like things it has like a walk-in closet too like it's not just you know a shitty studio like what they try and frame it as what they try and frame her apartment as i am praying that i will be able to afford in the next year or so. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's the whole episode after she breaks up with Aiden. I forget which time it is that they break up. I think it's the second time. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly don't remember. But after they I break up- I can help you. I just rewatched this portion of it, actually. Okay, right. So, like, he owns the apartment. He, you know what? You walk me into it. You you walk me into the whole Aiden apartment Aiden landlord story. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah. Well, he- renovates he buys the apartment next door Mm -hmm. from hers and renovates it for her because she's complaining about how she doesn't have any space and um (laughs) she's complaining she she doesn't have any space in her one bedroom i'm sorry i'm gonna let you talk i'm gonna let you talk she's claiming thank you though for pointing that out because yes she's claiming that she doesn't have space and i remember that being (laughs) like like an eye twitch moment for me because I'm looking at her whole apartment while she says, like, I just can't think like I there's it's too much. And I'm like, it's you're okay, fine. Um, so he buys the apartment next door because he loves her so much. And with his woodworking dreamy man skills, he renovates <laughs> it for her. <laughs> and then, and I feel like this also doesn't re- even really get touched on enough that he does become her landlord for two seconds. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not even sure how it resolves though. Uh, so what happens is he has bought both of the apartments so that he can knock through the wall in between them and turn them into one mega apartment. And then right. in the middle of that, they break up. And like in the next episode, mm. he presents her with a letter of like, I now own this apartment. Either you can buy it from me or you right. need to, and it's like a big deal. Right. Like how, how dare how he? How dare you? Yeah. How dare he? You should just give me this apartment, even though I cheated on you. Cheated and, on you. Oh, Carrie. So like, there's this whole episode that's about her thinking about moving. She's thinking about moving and it's revealed that she can't find another apartment she likes because the apartment she's been living in is rent controlled and she's been paying $700 a month for it forever. Oh my God. Yes. I think, what? and I think this is also the episode where she just assumes that Charlotte, who is now rich from her divorce, is going to lend her the money to buy right. the apartment. And Charlotte is mm-hmm. reasonably like, you are terrible with money. If I lend you that money, I'll never see it again. And just because I have more money than you doesn't mean I have this money to give away. Exactly. Oh. I remember that. And I also remember that being one of the few moments that I was like, yes, Charlotte, tell her. <laughs> yeah, which is rare. Like, usually I'm really mad at Charlotte. Yeah, she's, I'm, I mean, I feel like she also was like the writing device 
upon which like everybody else's sexual freedom hinges sometimes you know like she has to be the prude yeah but but you know it's just (laughs) sometimes you want to kill charlotte sometimes you want to kill charlotte even though i think charlotte might have might have my (laughs) favorite journey over the six seasons like she grows the most she definitely does she definitely does her i mean especially with the romance aspect to the show the focus of the show the t- her and um Miranda's relationships I think yes uh, provide us the most like give and take and communication and growth and challenge yeah and I mean I don't know I feel like I've seen uh, a mixed bag with regards to um Samantha and her her model man mm-hmm. <laughs> like some people are really in support of that relationship and um and how it pushes samantha to grow and other people are like samantha's trash and he didn't deserve her and i mean it depends on the day for me sometimes (laughs) (laughs) it also for me depends on the last episode of samantha that i watched true because there are there are times where samantha is really quite excellent and then like her whole the way she Ugh. uses Maria in her in her uh mm-hmm. bisexuality arc is a problem uh yeah. the, the the honestly the the thing that put the nail in the coffin for Samantha for me is there's this whole arc where the, she moves the meatpacking district the the yeah. transgender the transgender sex workers she moves Ugh. She moves I into their neighborhood. I just watched that too. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. And complains so, about them. Threatens com- to call the police. Threatens to them. call the police on them. Like, like Samantha. <laughs> she assaults them. Doesn't she like pour water out her window on she, them? Oh like? yeah. She dumps. She dumps a pot of water out. Yeah. The wind out her window on top of one of their heads. And she uses. And then some, the cops roll by and push them on to a new place. They're like, come on, move it, move it, move it. Yeah. And they have to move. Yeah. And the episode, I, I have not watched this episode in a while because it makes me real angry. The episode ends with Samantha realizing that what all of these transgender sex workers really want is to be Samantha. And because, uh, like, there's this. There's this yes. n- this inherent narrative the way that uh, the way that LGBTQ uh-huh. people are used in this show is to imply that all LGBTQ people want to be as fabulous and sexy as these straight as, cis women. Exactly. Exactly. It's the way they talk about Stanford. It's the way they talk about um, the character whose name eludes me, but who's the stylist, uh, who's who's Carrie's other uh, gay best friend, mm-hmm. like the idea that these women are aspirational for all LGBTQ people and therefore the way they talk about them is okay, which it fundamentally it's fundamentally disgusting. Is. Yeah. It's, so, it's so disgusting. It's absolute and the you know, the focus on genitalia and, and like making yes. jokes about it's just it absolutely yeah. stomach turning. Then though there's there's the the other Samantha episode that uh totally i mean at the first time i watched it it was probably the episode that that really reminded me like okay sex in the city is not <laughs> the be all end all of chick flick like <laughs> you yeah. know 
um, when she, you know, interracially dates and the whole episode, like, there are ways to handle that narrative and they just didn't do it at all. They didn't do any of them. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to, uh, do, do you want to tell me briefly what happens in that episode? Yes. Okay. So Samantha is at a restaurant, a restaurant opening big night for one of her clients, I guess, um, who is a black girl, a chef. And they're friends. We've never seen these people ever before or any other black people, <laughs> mind you, <laughs> almost <laughs> at this point. But supposedly they're all such close friends with her and, and the chef comes out and gives them like complimentary stuff and whatever. Then the chef's brother enters the picture and Samantha and him have this like ooh-la-la moment, right, immediately. So they start sleeping together. The, his sister has a problem with it that they're dating, that he's dating this white woman. Um, Samantha decides to push back against that um, by trying to like date him. Even, and we know that Samantha doesn't even want that in the first place. Like that's her whole thing, right? They go out to a club on his side of town oh, okay. with like metal detectors and like, security like intense at the door um and there's a line about that like a, a quippy line from carrie the narrator yeah about that that rubbed me the wrong way yeah um, but then what really happens what really is the fucked up thing that happens is the <laughs> the moment in the club after um samantha after the chef has already confronted samantha and said i don't want you dating my brother like what are you doing you can't do that you don't fit in here stop it um and they have like an argument but samantha continues and so she goes to the club with with the brother and her sister is there and they have this like i don't even know like bring it on esque <laughs> like you know face off in the crowd um and it's, it's weird. It's just weird and fetishy and, like, Samantha's, like, waving her fingers around and, you know, it's just, it's, oh God. it's intense. It's really uncomfortable. Um, I mean, it's even so, it could even be so simple as all of that being embarrassing, as being, like, postured as, like, embarrassing for Samantha or, like, not good. But at the end of the day, you know it all comes back to like it being his fault mm -hmm. that it didn't work out, you know, as opposed to Samantha, not like even trying to listen or, you know, there's just no like dialogue or anything. And it, it makes the white person in the situation look wronged. It, my understanding of this episode, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that it, it mm. positions Samantha as the victim of an mm -hmm. angry racist black woman. Literally. Yeah. Literally. That's it right there. When there's really a very nuanced conversation to be had about, you know, are you accessorizing this relationship with this black man and you can't just you can't just jump into this culture with no understanding of it and like in a correct version of this episode, in a, in a correct version of this episode, what is the sister's argument? It's not clear to me <laughs> because mm -hmm. she's not a well-written character. 
Right. You know what I mean? She's not like a fully expressive, like an embodied character. I mean, one of the lines is, this is a black thing, literally is what she says to her. And it's like, and it, it just has no, you know, substance in what is a very complex issue. And it, it's like, why did you even, I mean, they shouldn't have even gone there. If that's the first time yeah. you're hiring that many black people, then maybe you shouldn't be writing an episode about this. <laughs> and like the last time they hire that many black people, because the next time any of our four ladies are in a relationship with a black person is I think season five or six when Miranda is dating the sports mm -hmm. doctor yep. in between in between her Steve relationship. Right. And he lives in her building. That was weird too. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Yeah. Honestly. Honestly. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like that relationship, they at least didn't make it about him being Black. No, like, that wasn't no. the whole story of the relationship like it was with Samantha and this dude. Like, with Samantha and this dude, it was, oh, Samantha's dating a Black man. Right. And that's oh my God. really gross. It, and I mean, the jokes about his, you know, <laughs> his oh God. genitals, like... Absolutely, like no holds barred, and I was like, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how this got onto the screen at all. I, I would be interested to learn how many people of color were in the writers' room. Mm, probably not that many. I'd wager. <laughs> I mean, it was already a writers' room that was uh, dominated by male showrunners that was supposed to be about the female experience. And when you think about exactly. that, it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> there's one more thing that i remembered yeah there's an episode where she dates a jazz musician yes where carrie dates the jazz musician with adhd and i mean first i mean just the like adhd and jazz parallel is super wonky <laughs> mm -hmm. that they position those two things together. Um, and this is something that I, this is one of the few things that were new to me when I rewatched this show the last time. One of the few like things that pissed me off that was new. The like racist view of jazz is so prevalent in the episode that it, you know, it's this like, chaotic terrible bad thing that like you know the uh, jazz music musician must not be able to get things done or focus for too long or you know when the the reality is that jazz musician jazz musicians require some of some of the most focus and like discipline and yeah it's such a beautiful art form that i happen to just you know absolutely love yeah. Um, and jazz, as it is today, um, shuts out the people who who brought it to the forefront, who who invented it, you know. Um, and and so that episode like truly fucked me up the other day in a way that I I just wasn't expecting because I, you know, I thought I'd seen it all. I've watched this series so many times. Right, right, right. You know it's gonna <laughs> piss you off. And I haven't. I. I know that episode. I haven't rewatched it recently, but correct me if I'm wrong. Are there any are are there are there any black jazz musicians in the episode period? There are extras. 
<laughs> but nobody with lines. In the, in the episode, because her, oh, they, oh my God. Yeah. So, okay. The reason that that jazz episode even happens is because Carrie and Big love jazz. Big loves jazz. Right. So Big goes to jazz clubs and Carrie decides to start to hang out with Big platonically. Like, everything's fine. We can just be friends. And... <laughs> They go to a jazz club as friends and carry and the the bassist, I believe, he they hit it off while right, right, she's right. out with Big and it's like really awkward. Um, but so Big starts to tease her using jazz. Right. About it. And it's super racist. Like it <laughs> definitely and it's not something that we're used to catching, you know like the undertones and the subtlety in there like we're not used to catching that shit and there's like such a heritage in this country of uh equating jazz music with uh, with badness with uh yeah with loose morals and depravity which isn't necessarily consciously present in this episode but it's kind of there anytime you make fun of jazz like yeah i'm thinking specifically of um the sort of reefer madness rhetoric of the 20s and 30s, uh, a big part of the, so a big part of the propaganda against marijuana, which was funded mm-hmm. by interests that wanted money to go into wood, wood paper manufacturing and money to stay away from hemp paper manufacturing. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, they criminalized marijuana and made it sound really, really bad. And in order to criminalize yep. marijuana, the things that they did were to uh, capitalize on uh white fear and xenophobia by equating it with uh, both Latinx cultures and mm-hmm. black people. So yep. it was very like, it pops up in the reefer, in the original Reefer Madness movie. It's made fun of in the 2006 Showtime musical, Showtime movie musical version of Reefer Madness that like, uh, that, that, that marijuana makes you like jazz essentially and essentially it's Mm. that marijuana makes you like and understand jazz and jazz is the music of uh loose morals and depravity and uh and and black people yeah exactly it's it's always been positioned as the anti-white music (laughs) the music the anti-rhythm and rightness and that it's 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 sort of it doesn't adhere to to like standard western music practices like it's it's not easy to swallow right away um so yeah i i definitely caught that in that episode and was like huh well look at that i didn't even think (laughs) about that god yeah it's it's i thought it was crazy at first as one does honestly (laughs) gaslighting is a huge part of racism in america so you know i definitely Anytime I come across something like that, I think about it a lot. Like, wait, is that real? Is that really what I'm seeing? Um, but it's so they double down, triple down, quadruple down on it throughout the episode. And it's yeah. kind of like, oh, no, yeah, that's what they meant. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's I'm a lot, a lot. Still, I, I still watch this show and, and fundamentally more floored every time by the absence of people of any color whatsoever in main storylines. Especially we're not set in New York. Set in New York, which is the most multi... I mean, I don't know statistically, but I, I'm willing to bet anecdotally the most multicultural city in the country. 
um, yeah. a city that is built on a city that's built on immigration and melting and mixing and 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 yeah. uh, various cultures. And it's not just the absence. It's not just that there's an absence of people of color. It's that when there are people of color, that is the point of the story. Um, right. Is, they can't just ever exist because they do. Like, <laughs> none of these women have actual friends of color. Nope. That's a huge problem. Yeah, huge problem. <sighs> this podcast is sponsored in part by Audible. Confession, I have had a full-on case of reader's block pretty much continuously since March of 2020. On top of that, after a full day of working from home, complete with Zoom calls, sound editing, spreadsheets, graphic editing, and hours of staring at my computer, the idea of relaxing by staring at another screen doesn't sound relaxing. Lucky for me, I can find the perfect entertainment and escape through Audible, with thousands of titles spanning audiobooks, theatrical recordings, guided meditations, and more. Audible has something for pretty much any mood and any moment I might find myself in. Listeners of this podcast can get a free 30-day trial, meaning one free credit to spend however you'd like, by going to audibletrial.com slash cringebenefits today. For a fanciful escape from the world outside your window, I recommend you check out Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. It's a Eastern European take on traditional Germanic fairy tales, but with some badass heroines who aren't afraid to get fucking angry. Seriously, it is wonderful. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash cringebenefits to start your free trial today. As a, as a native New Yorker, how mm. aware were you that this version of New York is not is a is a fictionalized New York while you were watching it? Um, I mean, pretty aware from the jump, but that awareness has gotten so loud and like impossible, basically impossible to ignore. You know, mm -hmm. as I've rewatched at, at different points in in my life over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Um. I, but per, I mean, I remember that episode where Miranda's thinking of moving to Brooklyn and they're all like, <laughs> Brooklyn? There's no world outside Brooklyn. of Manhattan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm a Brooklyn girl. That's where I'm from. It's where my mom's from. It's where I live right, right. now. Um, so that midtown and like Upper East Side and Upper West Side elitism about mm -hmm. New York um, has always felt real and it is real <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like there are definitely folks here that that believe that yeah definitely and I and, and it's also existed sex in the city has existed as this like heaven that maybe I could get to if I ever like made enough money or like mm -hmm. you know met the right people or whatever mm -hmm. so also once I started working out uh, after college like climbing the ranks of the theater industry and just trying to figure out side hustles and stuff. Uh, I really <laughs> learned then and there that, or not, and not necessarily learned, but it was like proof that like that New York doesn't exist. And the one that does exist is far cooler <laughs> than anything they could polish off and put on TV, you know? I'm so glad that was your conclusion. Like yeah. that, that it's that real that real life is better. I mean, yeah, especially, you know, watching watching that and and 
getting the message that I'm not included in that world, you know? Yeah. The spaces I'm allowed to be in, quote unquote, around in, in New York and the spaces that that artists like myself and you have cultivated for people, mm-hmm. you know, those spaces are far more, far more fun and cool and productive. And I, I think I learned early on to treat sex in the city like a fairy tale that's not real at all, <laughs> that I shouldn't yeah. believe in. I think also though, it's taken a while, this is kind of a subject change, but it's taken a while to divorce from the romantic ideas in the show about what like real relationships are and require and like yeah. what the boxes are that we're supposed to tick off. Like, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> For a show that like advertised itself as being so uh, sexually and relationally progressive and, and to be fair in a lot of ways for its time, it was cause I it was. think, mm-hmm. Don't quote me on this, but I think this was really amongst that first wave of shows where women were allowed to talk frankly and openly about enjoying and wanting to have sex. Yes, definitely. That was its whole thing. At the same time, it's so deeply regressive. Like the whole Ugh. the whole reason Samantha's relationship with Maria doesn't work out, it's because women talk too much about their feelings and she wants to be with a man who doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And there's the whole episode where the guy Carrie's dating comes out as bi, and then they have this whole conversation about whether Ugh. bi people actually exist. Or is it just a, quote, stop on the way to gay town? Are you oh kidding me? Oh, my God. And then I think she ultimately, I, I think she ultimately decides that she doesn't want to date him anymore because, like, a bi guy isn't masculine enough for her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, there's a, a similar episode with Charlotte. Um, She dates a guy who, like, she's not sure if he's gay or not because he knows fashion and, like, dresses nicely and always smells good and recognizes the scents that she has in her hair and stuff. Mm -hmm. But he, you know, they have really great sex and he kisses her and it feels amazing. And, like, but she breaks up with him because then a a mouse... (laughs) (laughs) a mouse appears in the kitchen and he hops up on a thing and is like, Oh, I don't want to like, I don't want to, you know? So she's like, Oh God. Like, and Carrie ever present narrator is like, Charlotte couldn't handle someone whose like femininity was stronger than her masculinity or something like that. It was just like a lot cringe. Yeah. It's a show that goes out of its way to reinforce these sort of toxic Mm -hmm. gender binary stereotypes uh, about how functional heterosexual relationships should exist in this world where men are very, very manly and extremely straight. And also the women are uncomfortable discussing, like, the men repeatedly get dumped when they get too sensitive. When, when they're too sensitive or when they're not strong enough providers, like that happens. One could argue that the reason, that part of the reason Carrie cheats on Aiden is that he likes her too much. Yeah. And she's not used to that. She's yeah. fully not used to that. She's addicted to like the whole toxic Carrie big dynamic where she always has to chase him and convince him to like her. And that's why it's so upsetting that she ends up with him. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so much more exciting for her to go through that and then learn, wait, this actually doesn't have to be 
a thing. Like it just doesn't, I don't have to live my romantic life this way. Um, but instead, not only does she marry him after he leaves her at the altar. <laughs> oh, so that's the, so I haven't seen the movie and you're not oh. spoil, spoil everything for me. You feel oh, fucking I free. Shall. Let me tell you. <laughs> so the movie, where are we at? At the beginning of the sex in the city movie, big and Carrie are together and they're like, we should get married. Like we've been together and Carrie's like, yeah, what are we doing? And Big is like, yeah, we, sh- we should just get married. And it becomes this weird thing already because Carrie's like, should it have been like fireworks and excitement? Or was it cool that we just had a conversation and decided to get married? <laughs> is it less <laughs> romantic that we had an intelligent adult discussion about the rest of our lives when shouldn't I have been surprised? Like this whole, this whole uh, dynamic is so problematic. Go on. I'm sorry. Go yes. on. No, it's fine. Um, the wedding also gets amped up because she's New York's like single gal and she's finally getting married as like the columnist of Sex in the City. Everyone's like, oh my God. So like <laughs> Vogue or like Vera Wang or some, yes, Vera Wang and like Vogue decided to do an issue, I think, with her on the cover in, the, in a beautiful wedding dress and doing a profile about the wedding and all of the relationship, the tumultuous relationship that led mm-hmm. up to this wet, to the wedding. And so before she do, did that shoot and before the offer for that shoot came, she and Big decide to have a city hall wedding. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, let's just do it like small, nice, just our like closest friends, da, da, da. After the Vogue thing, Carrie's like, oh my God, like the dress is huge. I, how can I not like have a giant wedding to match this dress, basically? <laughs> I see. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I never really believed that Carrie would be okay with a city hall wedding. Like, everything we know about Carrie from six seasons is she was never going to be the person. She only agrees to a city hall wedding because Big wants one. Because Big wants one! She's toxically addicted to putting herself aside to please (laughs) Mr. Big. When she is... Exactly! (laughs) So that's why Big leaves her at the altar, because this was not the wedding that he wanted? No. No. Well, yes. Exactly. (laughs) But also, yeah, so because, like, there's a huge, like, fanfare there having it at the New York Public Library, (laughs) and she's on Fifth Avenue in this big dress with, like, all these flowers and the press, and there's, like, hundreds of people invited, and Big is, like, stressed about it, but they don't really talk about it. He doesn't want to hurt her, but he's also, like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And then they don't talk about it until Big tries to call her the night before. She doesn't know where her phone is. She gets to New York, li- uh, New York Public Library. Miranda and everybody carry her in her big-ass dress up right, the steps right. of the New York Public Library. And then um, Big manages to call somebody, like Miranda, instead. And he, she passes the phone to Carrie. And she's like, where are you? What's up? And he like, doesn't answer. And she's like, where, like, where are you? And he, like... He, like, never says, I'm not coming, but, like, the hesitation is enough for her to be like, he's not coming. Because he's let her down so many times that she knows to expect it. And she's marrying this man. She is marrying this man who has let her down so many times that he doesn't even need to say he's going to. Oh, my God. It's a mess. It's such a mess. She, so she leaves. She, like, 
And then Big immediately is like, oh my God, I'm making a mistake. What the fuck? Like, turn around. And the cab driver's like, it's a one-way street. Like, I have to go around the block. And he was like, no, she'll be gone by then. So they like back down the block. And Carrie comes out the library and Big, like the, his limo pulls up and he opens the door and he's like, Carrie, I'm sorry. And she runs up to him with the bouquet and beats him over the head with it. And the flowers yes. are flowing everywhere. And it's so beautiful and tragic. And then uh, he keeps trying to get her attention. And the girls like gather her and put her in the car. And Charlotte is like, no. And it's like the best, best moment of acting. <laughs> speaking, speaking for all of us over six seasons who have just wanted to say no to Mr. Big. Woo. And shout oh. out to Maggie Flanagan School of Miser Technique because that look on that girl's face was amazing. <laughs> it was burned into my memory forever. <laughs> oh, so then Samantha can't get her honeymoon canceled. Because there's a no refund policy. So she's like, I couldn't get her out, but I got us in. And so... They all go on the honeymoon together. They all go on the honeymoon together because Carrie's, like, depressed and doesn't want to see sunlight. And, like, (laughs) it's crazy. They go on the honeymoon. Carrie's, like, not answering his calls. She throws her phone in the ocean. She gets her old apartment back. She comes home after, like, all the shenanigans, and she feels a little bit better being with her girls by the beach, obviously. And then she comes home. She goes into the apartment that he bought for them, that they were Mm -hmm. supposed to move into, Mm -hmm. to get a pair of shoes that he bought for her. And they had, like, a moment with them in the closet in that apartment. Right, right, right. Shout out to Jennifer Hudson, who gets hired as the housekeeper for Carrie oh, Bradshaw. God. <laughs> during Wait. her breakup. No. In the movie. Jennifer <laughs> Hudson plays the housekeeper? That's so fucked up. I'm she's so mad. Her personal, she's her personal assistant. Okay, but I I mean, personal assistants Because it echoes... A certain trope yeah. that has existed for Black women in film yeah. for a very long time. <laughs> Does Jennifer Hudson provide spiritual advice and guidance to Carrie Bradshaw at any point? Is she... Uh, she fixes her life, uh, is what she does. She organizes her emails and saves her passwords and helps her... <laughs> throw things out of her closet and reorganize her house and like, I don't know, run her. Yeah. Like personal assistant things, but you know, it's very, let me clean up the mess for you, miss (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. Like, yep. Yep. Um, So that's happening also (laughs) in this this period uh, after the honeymoon. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, Oh, and so I brought her up because Jennifer Hudson is the one that reminds her to um, go to the house before she does it. It's not hers anymore to get them shoes that she loves out of the Mm -hmm. closet. Mm -hmm. So she walks into the house and then Big is there. Oh, also, wait, before we move on from Jennifer Hudson, she bought her an ugly purse, a really, really ugly purse. And Jennifer Hudson's character was like, oh my gosh, a purse for me. Oh, it was no. just very awkward and oh, man. cringe. <laughs> cringe, 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 cringe. 
Um, <laughs> so there's that. That happened. Uh, uh-huh. Oh, and then God. so she gets she gets to the, the old apartment. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and her and Big are like, this got out of control. Like, why did we let it be become blah, 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 blah. and then they decided to get married again and then they have their city hall wedding and then they you know and like they they have dinner at a diner afterwards and it's great then in sex in the city too which i recently <laughs> watched which i hear is straight up trash <laughs> it's like straight up trash like, right like the appropriation the like of indian culture and just just mm, uh there's all of that which i don't feel qualified to speak on but it is there and it hurts to watch and it's terrible we can agree (laughs) that it is deeply disrespectful even if we are not educated enough to explain all of the nuances of exactly how disrespectful it is exactly it's absolutely not okay 100 Ugh. um so there's that and then on top of that they bring back aiden which is like a slap in a, in the face of every like clear-minded sex in the city fan. Leave that poor man alone. No, let me tell you. Like like anytime there's a quiz or like a like a random Twitter poll about who do you like better, Big and Carrie or Aiden and Carrie? I like Big and Carrie together better because they are both garbage people. Aiden <laughs> is a sweet and lovely man who got dragged who into Carrie's. He deserves so much better. And he got dragged yeah. into Carrie's bullshit. And I'm not going to say that he was 100% perfectly well behaved that whole time, but he is the perfect example right. of a good person becoming their worst selves in a toxic relationship. That relationship Absolutely. was bad for my baby sweetheart furniture making baby Aiden and he should run yes. far far away also and he got he... dragged into it so many times like he tried to get away he tried to do what wasn't he married with a baby like at the end of the series um yes exactly at the end of He's... the series he was either married or about to get married and had a baby yeah yep. So they bring this poor man into Sex in the City too. Tell me what they do to my poor All baby Aiden. All the way Aiden. across the globe, they bring Why? this man. What the fuck is he doing there? Why he's is he there? He's looking. He's buying furniture and wood from. <laughs> <laughs> is it Morocco? Wait, where where did they go? Hold on. Abu Dhabi. Make sure. Abu Dhabi. Yes. So he's out of furniture. Of course he um, fucking is. Because this like man. Like market in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> This man cannot even go to the ends of the earth to avoid Carrie Bradshaw. There is nowhere mm. he can escape her. Oh my God. So he's there without his spouse and she's there without her spouse. Oh Jesus fucking Christ. They don't. And they see each other in the middle of the street and they're like, wow, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And they have drinks. And Carrie gets, like, fuck me gorgeous to go have drinks with him. (laughs) And her girlfriends are like, girl, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. And she's like, what do you mean? It's fine. And I think it's Charlotte who's like, what are you doing, though? Like, actually. (laughs) Like, are you going to do that? Are you really going to go do that and fuck up your life again? Are you going to do that? And Carrie's like oh my god shut up and she like leaves basically to go (laughs) have dinner with him (laughs) i hate carrie bradshaw so much (laughs) 
and she's so messy at dinner. And they talk about their wives and his kid, their wives, their spouses, and his kids. And it's like, ugh. and then there, there is a kiss and a murky mm. moment mm. of boundary line crossing. Mm. And then um, I think Carrie like runs away into the distance, basically. But they have, they also have like an argument, and which he doesn't look too great either. I mean, playing into this mess. Yeah, um, no, that's fair. And then, you know, Carrie comes to her senses and runs home to Big. And that's the movie. That's, that's the whole movie. Yeah. Is Carrie and then contemplating. And like, weird, cringe-worthy stuff um, about Abu Dhabi and these white women in it. Great. <laughs> great, great, great. That's, that's really it. <laughs> like, I hate how much of this whole property is about the idea that, like, like, like that Carrie has these two possible soulmates and only these two. And she has to, at some point, choose between one or the other. And I like, I mean, and I know, I, I say this knowing full well that there are so many events of this series where she dates other people casually. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the whole burger scenario and burger oh, is God. also just a trash man made of trash. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but, but like- when you think about Carrie's romantic world, it is all built around Aiden and Big, and yeah. those are her people. And, and they're, they're fundamentally flawed relationships on either side. They just are. They're, yeah. She's not, I don't believe she's meant to be with either of them, and there's never really a exploration of Carrie trying to fix her own, fix her own life. Like Carrie, Carrie Bradshaw never goes to therapy, and I really no. need her to. It's funny you mentioned that because I was trying to read through some articles too about like about Sex in the City and how how we yeah. as a culture have consumed it. Sure. Um, and one of the articles I can't remember which one, unfortunately, uh, mentioned that her therapy is so brief, like it's like an episode. Oh, she does for an episode. Okay. She does. She tries for an episode. Um, and then she doesn't, I, th- I feel like it's like she doesn't like, oh, <gasps> she tries what? for an episode and then she dates one of the other, wait, wait, wait. Am I confusing? Is this the one where she dates David Duchovny? Is that where she gets David Duchovny from? I don't know. Wait, which one was David Duchovny? She dates David Duchovny for a hot minute, and he turns out to be this really sweet, well-adjusted guy who has chosen to live in a mental institution. And he says, yeah, I got institutionalized for depression. I'm stable now, but I still have a lot of work on myself to do. So I'm staying here until I feel Mm -hmm. ready. And he's honestly Mm -hmm. the most emotionally healthy person she dates ever. And she decides that that's not for her. (laughs) Like I do remember that, yeah. You know what this show does? Like earlier, you talked about how you're still kind of recovering from the ways in which this show taught you how relationships are supposed to work. Is yeah. that this show? And you know, not this this show in a vacuum necessarily either. But no, of yes. course not. Of course not. <laughs> this this show is but one sea monster in a vast ocean of <laughs> extremely toxic media. But like. It's predicated on this idea that to be single and fabulous in your 30s is not a thing you should like, but these girls like it, even though they fundamentally don't, because Charlotte is spending the whole time trying to get married, 
Carrie mm-hmm. is spending the whole time trying to find the one. Miranda right. is arguably the only one who is completely okay being single and on her, says that she's completely okay being single and on her own, but really she isn't. And she also winds up paired off. And Samantha, who is supposed to be the most like sexually rapacious, perfectly okay being single, getting her, getting her rocks off and then being done, her whole journey, like her whole redemption arc basically the way it's painted is that she becomes a woman who wants to be in relationships like mm. the way it paints a, a a heterosexual monogamous commitment as the end all be all of what a person should be there's this whole story where where Carrie goes to the wedding of this Broadway star who's played by Nathan Lane who has never come out of the closet, but it's an open secret that this guy is gay uh-huh. and he's marrying this woman. And the whole show, like Carrie's whole plot, is her speculating what's going on with these two. Right. That they want to marry each other when he is clearly gay, even though he doesn't say it. This episode confuses me. I don't know <sighs> how to feel about it because, on the one hand, On the one hand, the conclusion that Carrie comes to is maybe I don't have to know what's going on in someone's bedroom. It's enough to celebrate their happiness, which is a great conclusion. Gold star Carrie. That's where you should go. And it's (laughs) it's also insinuating that like heterosexuality does not have one expression and lots of different people, like the way you present yourself in life is not a direct indicator of what you value romantically and sexually. Exactly. But it's also still heavily implied that Nathan Lane's character is gay and is choosing this out of companionship because he and this woman care about each other deeply and really get along. So is the show also just saying that it's better to be in a straight marriage than to be single and yourself? It's so confusing. This this show is this show is so bad. It's so bad at queer relationships. It's really it's bad. It's terrible at, at them. It's terrible at them. I mean, yeah. I, do we see any strong queer relationships in Sex in the City at all? I mean, I feel like Stanford gets paired up with someone eventually at the end. But like Stanford is very much that character who exists to be the quote capital letters gay best friend where his whole job is to idolize the straight women and make Mm -hmm. her feel better about how great she is. (laughs) All right. So because we're talking about sex in the city, I am contractually obligated to ask you this question. Which (laughs) of the four women are you? Uh, I am part Samantha, part Carrie, sadly. Why are you part Carrie? Writer frivolous fashion spender and you know that might be an old diagnosis (laughs) you know I I might be a little more Miranda than Carrie than I thought like a Samantha Miranda as opposed to a Samantha Carrie is this a self-diagnosis or does this come from a particular a particular quiz (laughs) it doesn't it uh well I've definitely taken a lot of quizzes on Sex and the City and it's usually um, Carrie, Samantha, but it's been a while yeah. since I've taken them. Um, and I now watch the show and I just feel so much further away 
from yeah. Carrie than I did, you know, at my peak Six in the City fandom. I used to think I was a straight up Miranda because she's she tends to be like the lowest on bullshit, the most self-actualized, right. and mm -hmm. the one whose choices I hate the most. <laughs> I, the one whose choices I hate the least, rather. But oh. then last last night. Uh, when I was when I was watching episodes to refresh for this, the ones I ended up watching are the ones at the beginning of her relationship with Steve, where she's oh. just a straight up classist bitch. She's, she's terrible. The, she's oh, the worst. So terrible. She puts him down so much. So she much. feels so self conscious about dating a. You know what it is. You know what it is about this show, um, hmm. especially recently. The more time I spend in New York, the more I mm. recognize that my life does not reflect any of these women, but reflects the people around them. Like, there's an episode where Carrie goes to a party on a boat with Charlotte and Trey, and Aiden decides not to come with her, so she's alone on the boat when Big shows up, and he doesn't have his wife with her either. And it's all very confusing. And I'm watching yeah. this episode, and then I saw a caterer go by with a tray, and I'm like, oh, there I am. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yeah. Because I like <laughs> if you are an artist, if you are an artist in New York, if you are a Carrie Bradshaw type in New York who's a yeah. Writer, you are not living in a one bedroom on the Upper East no. Side that you pay not without bucks. seventeen jobs. <laughs> not without seventeen jobs. No, you are here with your five roommates working four different jobs, and all exactly. of your jobs are about serving people like Carrie Bradshaw. Yeah, you're you are a waiter, you are a babysitter, you are a caterer, you are mm -hmm. a bartender like Steve, and you're I think one of the brand ambassadors standing around at samantha's pr yes. <laughs> like events <laughs> yeah and absolutely. i i get so mad at miranda because like steve is a dude with a job and he's great and he's sweet and he's smart and he's he idolizes her and all of the bartenders i know have more money than me bartending is some solid money in this city not only that but most of the service industry people i know are people with master's degrees because the fact yes. is you move to New York to pursue a dream and there's just not enough dreams to go around. So you end up working in service. No, it's true. Everybody who's working and nobody moves to New York to become a bartender. You move here to do something else and mm -hmm. you start bartending on the side to keep you going while you're waiting for your dream to come in. And that's why like, or supplementing the dream hap that's happening. Yeah. You know? Like the, yeah. the whole, classist argument against Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that the right Ugh. loves to throw out about how she used to be a bartender. Like, anyone who's been a bartender in New York knows what bullshit that argument is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, thank God for the bartenders in New York. They put up with so much crap. Like, they, from they do. people. And, you know, still show up to work and treat you, for the most part, with dignity and respect. And it's like, that's one of my top like rage moments in this in the series is watching Miranda just like totally overthink and disregard Steve. Yeah. Ugh. It does it is what makes her journey so satisfying when she sort of mm -hmm. I don't want to say gets over herself because that implies that she's wrong to be proud of her achievements as a brilliant badass lawyer in the city and she's absolutely not wrong, but she like Absolutely 
learns to accept that it's actually okay to just love somebody, even to love somebody who loves you and they don't yes. have to be a mark of your status. Exactly. And watching the, the the way the the way she discovers the the humble vulnerability of being in love with somebody is beautiful to me in the same way mm -hmm. that a lot of Charlotte and Harry is beautiful to me. Yes, yes. Harry is the yes. best man. Harry is the, the best, best of all men. Yes, he is. He I absolutely mean, is. That whole storyline also falls into some really uncomfortable anti-Semitic tropes. Like Oof. as soon as as soon as Charlotte right off the bat. <laughs> as soon as Charlotte converts to Judaism, all of the all of the Charlotte storylines become, isn't it funny how Jewish she's acting? And that just right. But at the same time, it does so much right. She converts, and then when they break up, she stays converted. She takes it seriously when she yeah. apologizes to him. It's the most beautiful apology in the world, and his proposal mm -hmm. is wonderful. And just, <laughs> ah, Charlotte and Harry. So beautiful. Absolutely. So beautiful. So my normal structure for this show is to ask the person, you know, what is this thing? Why, why did you love it? Uh, right. Why did other people love it? What's wrong with it? Which we've covered at great lengths and we could probably cover so much longer. And then the oh, wrap-up question, wrap question is, is where does this thing in, live in your life now? Do you, still oh, right. get, do you still get joy out of it? Or do you, are, are, is, it, is it canceled for you? Does it still <laughs> have a meaningful existence for you in the world of entertainment? I, I can't, I, I don't think it's canceled for me, mm -hmm. um, as much as maybe like expired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, all right, like I've watched this enough. Oh, that's a really um, good distinction. Yeah. I've, I've learned a lot about television from this show. I've learned a lot about what is not real mm -hmm. <laughs> that we think is real from this show um and i've learned a lot about how this culture how our culture how far it has shifted yeah um, from from there and that i mean that's the the brightest takeaway i think from it all yeah i it's funny i got the the, the when i when i binged through it a, a few years ago i got mm. so much joy out of watching it and picking it apart yeah uh, like the joy of sex in the city is how bad it is. Um, yes. <laughs> but this last time I've got to say, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me because there's still elements of it that I do love. I love Miranda's, I, I love Miranda's um, idiosyncratic, journey to who she is and I love that they glorify a character who is a badass working mom I love that yeah, um, yeah. I love uh I, I I I Carrie gets so much wrong that the times where she gets it right are so satisfying to me oh yes I love watching Charlotte transition from her extremely Pollyanna, black and white, Pleasantville view of what life is supposed to be and what romance is supposed to be to where she mm -hmm. ends up, where her life is not at all what she thought it would look like. And she's wildly yeah. happy. Yeah. Um, and I love 
you know, there's there's a lot that's not great about the Samantha Smith Jared relationship, but there's mm-hmm. also a lot that's wonderful about it, and that he's just so loving and supportive of her figuring out exactly who she wants to be in this relationship, and that's pretty yeah. rad. Absolutely. Like if you don't if you don't watch the show with your glasses on, it's pretty enjoyable. But if you can notice <laughs> all of the details, it's it's so yeah, infuriating. It's chaotic. It's chaotic. <laughs> um all right. I think we have well and truly covered this whole subject. We have. I think we it's have to be a I <laughs> Cannot thank you enough for choosing this to talk to, to, to talk about with oh, me today. Thank you. Oh, that was thrilling. <laughs> um, if uh, listeners want to find more of you and what you're up to online, where should they look? Um, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and you can also go to my website, all the same thing, um, at Sabia, T-S-E-B-I-Y-A-H.com or at Sabia. And I'll drop all of those links in the show notes. And as always, you can find this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Cringe Benefits. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Abby Wild. That is our show. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We will be back next week with another childhood favorite that's become a grown-up regret. Bye. (laughs)